1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua.
0: Real love is
2: calling, Truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting with every sunrise. I mean, anything that might have been corrupt in their hearts or in their lives, some action, activity, behavior, thought, word, deed, Get it cleaned up. Get right with God because uh, G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, the church pure is the church powerful. There is a certain measure of God's power that is manifest in an individual's life when we walk in purity before him.
1: One of the similarities that we see between people who follow God in the Old Testament and the people who follow Him in the New Testament is the call to purity. God in the Old Testament was calling people to worship Him alone and not false idols. In the New Testament, people were called to put off the things of this world and the evil desires in an exchange for holiness. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about the power that comes on people when they walk in a life of purity towards God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Joshua chapter 3. Let me pray and then we will Dig into this chapter. We'll see how far we get. We might even get into chapter four. After I pray, I'll summarize where we are up to this point. So let's just first go to the Lord. We thank you for this time that we can share together. We're grateful for your word. We just praise you and exalt you for what you're doing in our lives and in our church. And we just continue to ask, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your favor. We thank you that you love us so much that you were never content to allow us to remain as we are. So in the different areas that we need to be challenged and changed, we pray also that you would do your good work there in us. And we just want to be vessels that are surrendered to you more and more. And we commit this Bible study to you now, Lord. We love you. We give you praise and thanks together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So just to get our bearings straight with where we are at this point in the book of Joshua, this is a book that uh, details the entrance into the promised land that the Jewish people, the the people who had been slaves for 400 years, are finally going to enjoy. And so this is that book that talks about their coming into the promised land. And so when the Hebrew slaves had finally been freed after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they took kind of a circuitous route. As you know, they spent 40 years in the Sinai Peninsula because of their disobedience to God. And then At the time when Moses was dying, just prior to that, God handed over the Bataanah ministry to his protege, Joshua, after whom this book is named. And after the 40 years of wilderness wandering, an entire generation dies. Their children will enter the promised land, along with only two from that previous generation, Joshua himself and Caleb. And when they end up coming into the promised land, they're going to make this this route south of Israel around to the east of the Dead Sea, and they will encamp at a place called Shittim. In the New King James, it says Acacia Grove because that's what Shittim means in Hebrew, Acacia Grove. Acacia trees were and are basically thorny, flowery, trees. And so the Israelites settle in Shittim, which is just east of the Jordan River in what is today on a map, modern Jordan. And they are going to end up going across the Jordan River. As we're going to read, God does a miraculous thing for them in a similar way that he had done for them in crossing the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt. And they're going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to end up taking Jericho, which is the first city that they will take. And uh, as we mentioned, a principal person in the city of Jericho was a woman by the name of Rahab. She was no ordinary woman. She was a prostitute. She was a Gentile, but she plays a significant role, not just in this story in the book of Joshua, but she's also mentioned three times in the New Testament. And she has a pivotal part in the genealogical record of Jesus, which we'll get to when we revisit her again, because even though she's mentioned in chapter 2, we finished chapter 2, she gets mentioned again in chapter 6 when the Israelites actually come into Jericho and she and her whole household are spared and they become proselytes to Judaism. It's an amazing story when you think about it. This prostitute, Gentile, receives God's mercy. She's a picture of every single one of us in need of God's mercy, estranged from him, And yet who make a profession of faith can be received by him. And that's what happens with Rahab. She's a wonderful story of redemption and God's mercy. She marks her home with the scarlet cord, this red cord, which of course is a picture. It's a type of the blood of Christ, a reminder to us of how when Christ died on a cross for us, we can also be rescued from our sins and from our previous way of life. And so, That's where chapter 2 ended. And again, as I said, we'll come back to Rahab a little bit later, but for the moment, in chapter 3, we come now to this wonderful moment when the the Israelites are going to cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land. You have to remember, everyone who's about ready to step foot into the Jordan River and across it and into the Promised Land has never seen the Promised Land. No one. No one. Because, again, for the last 400 years, they've been slaves in Egypt. For the last 40 years after that, they've been wandering in the wilderness until an entire generation died off. No one who's about to go into the promised land, with the exception of, you would say, perhaps Joshua and Caleb, because they spied out the land. But other than that, no one has ever been there, and certainly no one has ever lived there, not among this generation. So this is an exciting time. I mean, you have to imagine Now, this is God's promised land on oath to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's part of this Abrahamic covenant. The land was part of the covenant of God in Genesis 15, verse 18. And it spells out even the territory from the Nile River and to the Mediterranean on the west to the Euphrates River on the east, which is in Iraq. And Israel has never occupied that territory even to this day. And so uh, God swore on oath this land to the Jewish people. And they're about ready to enter it after 400 years of slavery. And none of these people have ever been there before. So this is an exciting moment for them as they're ready to s- step across into the promised land. And so here in chapter 3, it says in verse 1, And then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove. Again, that's Shatim and came to the Jordan, to the Jordan River. And he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits to measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. All right, let's stop there for a moment, because what is mentioned here to us is something there in verse 3 that's very significant, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. The instruction that uh, uh, Joshua has been given by the Lord, it's inferred, but he passes it on now to the people of Israel, that they are to follow the Ark of the Covenant. What exactly is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, if you're familiar with your Old Testaments, you will remember that it is one of the articles, and I think you could make the argument the most sacred of the articles that used to occupy the tabernacle. And after that, occupied the temple that Solomon built. And it was kept in the interior of the most holy place of the tabernacle or the temple. And it was where God would visit with the high priest who would make his entrance into that most holy place only once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, to make atonement for the sins of the people. So just a quick background of what we're talking about, the Ark of the Covenant, and then we'll talk about why they were supposed to follow it. So the dimensions are given to us in the Bible. It's a small box. It's basically three and three quarters feet long by two and a quarter feet high and two and a quarter feet wide. The Bible tells us that the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was also called the mercy seat, was made of solid gold. With these gold cherubim or angels on top, fixed on top, also made of gold, on top of the mercy seat, with their wings outstretched, facing towards each other. This was all prescribed by God to Moses, how he should fashion this Ark of the Covenant. And it was made of acacia wood, which is what we're reading here about the acacia grove. So the acacia wood was something that was grown. It was indigenous to this particular region. And so the box was made of wood and overlaid with gold. And inside this box were kept articles of Israel's history. The Ten Commandments, Aaron's budding staff, and a sample of the manna. And so this is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this was a holy, sacred article. And in fact, the Bible tells us in uh, Psalm 80 verse 1 and in Psalm 99 verse 1 that God would sit enthroned between the cherubim. His very presence would manifest above the Ark of the Covenant. So when the high priest, when it was situated in the tabernacle or later the temple, when the high priest would go in to this holy place once a year, he would go with the blood of of the lamb to make atonement for the sins of the people, he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant. Because it would be there that God would make atonement for the sins of the people. This is prior to Jesus dying on a cross. It was a temporary means by which people could be made righteous temporarily until such time that Jesus would die as a sacrifice for all people, for all times, for all sin. Okay, But in the meantime, what was God's gracious provision? If the high priest would take blood on behalf of the sins of the people, a sacrifice from a lamb, sprinkle it, go into the inside of the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, atonement for the sins of the people would be made, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And so God would visit the high priest there in his presence, in his Shekinah glory, not a tangible physical being but the spirit of god the glory of god would be manifest there between the cherubim and by the way in the book of hebrews it it tells us that the articles of the tabernacle and the temple itself in hebrews chapter 7 it says that those things were a copy and a shadow of what exists in heaven there is an actual temple in heaven the bible says and god's presence dwells likewise on the mercy seat And so there was this replica or this type or copy or shadow of one on earth. And every time the high priest would go behind the curtain into the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of the people, it would be there that God would visit them. So this being a very sacred article, it would take the lead on their entrance into the promised land. Because what Joshua instructed the priest to do was to take the Ark of the Covenant and to lead the way. And so what the priests would do is they would hoist it up on their shoulders with with these these uh, staffs between the ringlets on the side of the Ark of the Covenant so that they could then hoist up the Ark on their shoulders and transport it this way. They were never to touch the Ark itself. They were only to transport it like this by holding up, hoisting it up on their shoulders with these staffs that pass through these ringlets on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. The instruction was that the priest should lead the way in crossing the Jordan River and that the people should follow the Ark of the Covenant. Now, he tells us there, if you'll notice again, when he says in verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. But, he says in verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So, uh, two thousand cubits is roughly uh, a thousand yards. So we're talking a little more than half a mile. The priests with the ark of the covenant were supposed to be a little more than half a mile in front of all the Israelites who are ready to move into the promised land, and they're not to go near. This is this is the sacred presence of God. And and so these priests are to take the lead and the people are to follow. Now, there's three basic things I'm going to point out from chapter three that we're going to go through here. Basic instructions that were given to the people as they prepared to cross over into the promised land. And the first one is this, that they're to follow the Lord's lead. This is good advice, by the way, for us in everyday living. The, the Lord's in charge. Sometimes we get ahead of God. We get adventurous and we start doing things and then we pray and ask God to bless it What it really should be is we should be praying and asking God. How is he leading and then follow him? Sometimes we get impulsive and we start to do things and we start to make decisions And then we just hope that you know, God's gonna get behind it. God's in front of it And if we're not following him, we're gonna end up in making decisions for ourselves without his lead We're gonna end up bringing you know disaster Upon ourselves, So we need to make sure that as believers, as followers of Christ, we're always following the Lord's lead. What is God up to? How is God leading? How is God directing in this situation in your life? How is God opening the doors or not? How is God making a way for you? We need to be seeking him and following his lead, not getting out in front of God and then hoping he'll just bless it. And so this was the instruction here. A half a mile, keep your distance, he says to the people. And then he says in verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So there in verse 5, we have something else, number two on our list. He says to the people, Sanctify yourselves. Now, the Hebrew word is kadash, and, it, and some of your translations might say consecrate or purify. And this was the command that was given to them. Now, it doesn't specifically say in what way they were to sanctify themselves, but you can use your imagination. I mean, anything that might have been corrupt in their hearts or in their lives, some action, activity, behavior, thought, word, deed, get it cleaned up. Get right with God because G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, the church pure is the church powerful. There is a certain measure of God's power that is manifest in an individual's life when we walk in purity before him. He calls his people to follow his lead and then to consecrate or sanctify themselves, to walk in purity. Why? Because God says, be ye holy because I am holy. And so holiness and purity and a consecrated heart And life should be something that we as Christ followers, as believers, take to heart as something that God will honor. He wants us to walk in holiness before him. Now, I I like the instruction there because notice what Joshua did not say. Even though they're about ready to cross the Jordan River, and they're about ready to engage in war at Jericho, he didn't say, sharpen your swords. He didn't say, you know, get ready for war. Because God's going to take care of them. He just says, sanctify yourselves. Like, get right before God and let God fight your battles. You know, purify yourself and then watch what God will do. So that's his instruction here. And he says to the priests in verse 6 about taking up the Ark of the Covenant, crossover over before the people. They have to take the lead. They've got to be out a half a mile ahead. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's a wonderful thing that God's going to do for Joshua, because, you know, how many of you understand, it's hard to follow somebody who's pretty popular. I mean, Moses, for 40 years, had been leading the people. They were used to Moses. They loved Moses. I mean, at first they grumbled against Moses. They didn't like what he was doing and how he was leading. But nevertheless, they came to respect and honor and revere Moses as a prophet of God. Well, Moses has died. Now Joshua has to fill his sandals. And so that's kind of hard sandals to fill, except that God's going to put it in the hearts of people to give Joshua the kind of love and respect that he deserves as God's new assigned leader here. Verse 8, God says to Joshua still, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in The Jordan. Now, you can jump ahead if you'd like, but in verse 15, it tells us that it's a parenthetical comment in in verse 15. The Jordan overflows at its banks during the whole time of harvest. This is harvest time. This is April. And in April, and actually starting in March, the snows on Mount Hermon begin to melt. And the headwaters of the Jordan River is at the base of Mount Hermon, And so the Jordan River gets at flood stage at the, at the harvest time. So March and April, it's at flood stage. And the instruction is to these priests, carry the Ark of the Covenant, be a half a mile in front of the people. When you get to the Jordan River, just go stand in it. What What did he say? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're supposed to go stand in it. All right. I'll be in the back of the ark. You guys can be up at the front, you know. And so here they are. They're having to just obey God and and walk by faith here, literally. And so it says in verse 9, so Joshua said to the children of Israel. Now he turns to them. Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off the waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap now this is joshua's instruction to the children of israel so god has already impressed upon his heart this is the way it's going to work it's interesting how god sometimes operates isn't it god in his providence could have just decided when he sees the israelites about ready to approach the jordan river well in advance i'm just going to roll the waters up for them and then they just would to walk there on dry ground but no The instruction is for the priest, I want you to dip the soles of your feet into the Jordan River, and then, then I will roll the waters back. Because what God often asks of us is to walk in faith. That's number three, is to walk in faith. You know, sometimes we just want God to go ahead and do things in advance for us. And what God often says to us is, I will be happy to do things for you if you will trust me and walk in faith. And so this is his instruction here. And the people are prepared to walk across the Jordan River on a dry riverbed because the priests are going to be faithful to carry the ark in front of them and to put the soles of their feet into the Jordan River. And this is what happens, verse 14. And so it was, When the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeretan. And so the waters that went down into the Sea of the Araba, the Salt Sea, that's a dead sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Notice that dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan.
1: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the Promised Land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you, too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: That you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know you're not alone.